Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. You are a soldier and you're on mission and you are behind enemy lines. You are in enemy territory. It's been an intense battle with the enemy and you are tired. You're feeling defeated. And as the enemy begins to surround you, you begin to realize that if you don't get some outside help, you're going to be destroyed. And so you decide to make a call. You decide to call headquarters. And when you call, a voice coming from the other side of the call says, hey, don't you worry one minute. And as he's saying, don't you worry, bullets are flying right past your face. Don't you worry one minute because we're gonna send you our best, our strongest fighter. As a matter of fact, you're gonna see the the enemy begin to fall back any moment now, but just so that you can identify him, I'm gonna ask my uh, AV people, so just so you can identify this soldier, we're sending you this picture. That's my son, Tommy. You see, this is the story, thank you, this is the story that we're being invited into today in Revelation 12. This is the story we're being invited into, very familiar to most of us. Thank you, you can go ahead and move to the next slide. Very familiar to most of us, but perhaps we're going to hear this story and find it possibly in a place that we did not expect. You see, you've got to travel back to the beginning of the story in Scripture. You've got to travel back to the Garden of Eden right? And when you go there, we're there at the fall, just after the fall of humanity to Satan, right? Giving dominion over to him, therefore he has rulership of the planet. And so here they are, God comes, he steps in, he's now pronouncing judgment on the serpent. And as he's pronouncing judgment on the serpent, we also hear these words from him in Genesis chapter 3, if you will. You want to go there, flip over to Genesis chapter 3. We'll come back to Revelation chapter 12. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God says these words. I want you to pay attention really carefully to these words. It says this. And I will put enmity. I'll put what? Enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S in my Bible. He shall bruise your head. By the way, in the original, that is crush. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. What you have just heard is the first announcement of the gospel recorded in scripture. What you have just heard is the first prophetic utterance that there is a covenant between God and humanity and God is going to send a serpent crusher. Just like that baby you just saw a moment ago, he's going to send a baby to handle this serpent. Here's in essence what God is saying to the devil. You're not getting away with this. I'm going to crush your head. And here's how I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to send a seed, capital S, a descendant. In other words, a baby that's going to come through the line of the woman, initially Eve, going down through the line, through the genealogy. I'm going to send a baby, and that baby is going to rise up, and he's going to crush your head. You see, salvation for us in that pronouncement meant damnation and condemnation and judgment for the devil. And salvation is like a coin. On one side is salvation for those that trust in God, that trust in Jesus. But on the other side is judgment. You see, he's saving you from someone or something. If someone here, God forbid, were to be kidnapped today and that person was rescued, that person would experience in the rescue salvation, would he not or she not? But the person that was doing the kidnapping would experience judgment, would they not? Today, I want to introduce you to the serpent crusher. You see, when we go now to Revelation chapter 12, you can skip over there to Revelation chapter 12. John, the gospel writer there, the apostle John, is actually expounding on Genesis chapter 13, grabbing the very same language of Genesis chapter 3, rather, verse 15. And he takes a whole chapter to explain to you what's happening there, because in that verse is not only a gospel proclamation, but in that one pregnant verse of Genesis 3.15 is also in vivid, in vivid description a summary of the rest of the Bible story as you read. You see, he said, I'm going to put enmity. In other words, there's going to be a conflict between those that follow you, Satan, of the human family, they're going to be considered your seed. And those that follow Yahweh, the Lord, they're going to be considered his seed. And through those that follow me, the seed, capital S, is going to come and crush your head. And John now is wanting to, he, he can't hold it back. He, he, he wants to explain how all of this transpired. And he gives you the full sweep in Revelation chapter 12. Now here's what's happening here. If you're going to understand the book of Revelation, number one, it's about Jesus. It's about who? It's about Jesus. That's why it's actually, the, the title of the book is actually not Revelations or Revelation. It's actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so you're going to see all kind of imagery and symbolism, right? You're going to see all kind of beasts and stuff, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the baby in the manger. Because that's where you're going to get the, the correct and, 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 and uh, the clarity and the understanding of the book. All right. And so in Revelation chapter 12, if you're going to understand it or the rest of the book of, of Revelation, John is doing this thing. He does this thing called repeat and uh, enlarge. Say that with me. Repeat and enlarge. All right. He's going to tell you the story, expounding on what happens after Genesis 3.15. And that's going to be from verses 1 to 6. And then verses 7 to 17, he's going to tell you the story again. But this time when he tells you the story, he's going to now zoom in like a, like, a, like, a, like a magnifying glass to give you more detail of what's going on. All right? Because what's going on here is, through that entire chapter and really the entire Bible, is the seed is on his way and he's about to crush the head of the serpent. Someone here is sitting here and they're saying, well, you know, CJ, I'm glad you know your Bible. That's really nice. Uh, serpent, seed, that's really cool. Uh, but... How is that going to help me in my everyday life? Is that anybody here? You know, how is this going to help me, this, this, this serpent-crushing baby? How is that going to help me on Monday morning when, when life gets real, when I go into work? Right? When I'm cut off in traffic, when I have family issues at home? Well, I want to let you know that's a good question. 
because it has everything to do with your everyday life. You see, if you're going to understand this story, we've got to go all the way back to the war that happened in heaven. John, again, if you put these two parts of the chapter, Revelation 12, 1 to 6, and 7 to 17, again, he's doing this looping sequence of repeat and enlarge, okay? So he's not going to tell you everything in exact chronological order at every moment. And so if you're there in Revelation chapter 12, let me first hear you say amen. And then secondly, what I want you to do is just follow this story for a second. You see, you've got to go all the way back to the war in heaven, right? The devil thought he could beat Christ, and he lost. He should have learned then, but he got kicked out, all right? He brings his war, which is really his campaign, saying, vote for me, right? And so he brings that to earth. He succeeds and kind of gets a little bit of a big head, and he finally gets humanity through deception to hand over rulership and dominion of the planet over to him. Okay, and now this is where John picks up Genesis 3.15. He's not going to expound on that. He's going to tell you the story, okay? And he wants to first introduce you to a woman. Go with me to Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this. Well, Revelation chapter 12. Let me get there also. Here we go. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now a great sign. A what? great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And then go down to verse 5, beginning in verse, uh, the first part of that uh, verse. It says, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. This woman is none other than the people of God. Eventually, they were, be, were going to be ushered in the Bible story. We're going to be ushered into the story of the children of Israel, represented by the, the garland of 12 stars, right? But this also has implication to the church, represented by the 12 apostles. In essence, he's telling you that they've been experiencing pain as, as if uh, to give birth, right? Labor pains through their story. Sounds like some of our lives. They've been wrestling, they've been in conflict, they've been in enmity with the devil. And now they're at a place, as they're getting ready to usher in the Messiah, where the, how many of you ladies have, have given birth, amen? At, when, when, when you know the, the contractions are coming in, right, the pain gets intense, does it not? And this is where they find themselves as you get down to the advent of the Messiah. And then it tells you that in verse 5, this baby, when he arrives, is going to arrive and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And growing up, I used to read that and go, wow, what kind of, this doesn't sound like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This doesn't sound like Savior, full of grace, does it not? But you've got to understand this. Jesus is your Savior. But remember, he's saving you from someone and something. This rod of iron that he is to rule with, the Messiah, the Christ, which means anointed king, this means he is going to be mighty. He's going to have power in defense of you to crush the enemy. Amen? That would have been a good place to say amen and possibly a hallelujah. Amen? You see, the baby is coming with might to save you from the clutches of the devil. And this brings us to our first point, the baby in the manger wants you to know. <laughs> the baby in the manger wants you to know that God's past faithfulness assures your victory. 
That's all that the Old Testament story is trying to tell you. It is the faithfulness of God that you can hold into. Everything that Israel went through, everything that humanity had gone through, leading up until that point, when, uh, that, that part where Jesus comes on the scene, is letting you know that God has been faithful. I can testify of that in my own personal life. I gave my life to Jesus uh, officially when I was 12, raised in a Christian home, but got baptized at 12 years old. And then, but, but like many of us you know, that have been raised in the church, you know, I didn't fully come to know Christ and taste of the gospel until I was in college, making choices on my own, right? Even though I was still living at home for a little bit, but right? Came to know him there. And so not long after I get baptized, and eventually later on I'll meet Jesus a little bit more uh, significantly, I met a guidance counselor in my high school who told me that I wasn't college material. I may have told some of you this already. But I had to press on in faith, completing both a bachelor's and two master's degrees to the glory of God, because God is faithful. See? But then going a little bit forward, I get married, and my wife and I go through some difficult times financially. You guys remember the economic crash in 2008, amen? And around that same time, we were going down, we came down literally to our last dollar and 75 cents at one point. Now, we had to shed some tears, but we pressed forward in faith because God was faithful. Then later on, I surrendered to the call to pastoral ministry, go to Andrews University, have no idea where we're going to stay. They told us that there was an apartment available there on campus in the university apartments, and God in his sovereignty somehow opened up a door for us to get a one-bedroom apartment, and we were happy. DJ said that's a lot less uh, house to clean that we had back when we were in Atlanta. Amen. Right? Happy wife, happy life. Amen. So, God was faithful. And then not too long after only pastoring just for maybe a year and a half or so, uh, we began to kind of get the, the, the baby bug. And so we said, hey, you know, maybe we should start thinking about raising a family. But we're like, hey, are we going to raise a family with just one income? And after praying and kind of evaluating the situation, we decided to move forward in faith. We turned on the baby-making music, amen? And God was faithful, and we've got two beautiful children. Because God has been faithful. You see, it's God's past faithfulness that assures you of both your present and future victory. It's the faithfulness of God. I want to tell you that if you're going to understand the Bible, and if you're going to understand Revelation particularly, you need to understand this word covenant. Everyone say covenant. Covenant. Here's what's going on with the word covenant. Covenant means, biblical covenant, means faithful love. Did you know that? We often hear things like the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Law of the Covenant, right? The Ten Commandments. But faithfulness or faithful love is what covenant means. You see, the Bible is letting you know that God is faithful. God made a promise in Genesis 3.15, and he's going to keep it. As a matter of fact, if you're going to look at... By the way, I just discovered this not too long ago, maybe about a year or so ago. I, I discovered that the word testament in the Bible also means covenant, right? We say old Testament, and you say New Testament, that's also the old what? Covenant and the New Covenant. And so here's what God is saying. Old Testament is promise made, right? New Testament is a promise kept in Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because he's trying to get us sitting here in 2018 to know that God is faithful. He's faithful. If he said he's going to do it, he comes through on his word. Right? He said Jesus is coming and here he is. He shows up. And the devil knows he has a short time. Right? And so here's what we need to do. I, I, Deidre and I just the other day started something when we were kind of beginning the Sabbath experience. We started to do a blessing count. A blessing count. We did it last night. Some of us just need to start making a list of all the things that God has done, how he's blessed you in the past, and just, just keep going until you run out of room. Put it up on a wall somewhere where you can just walk by it every now and then whenever you get discouraged, whenever the devil wants to tempt you, like God isn't being faithful in your life. Because circumstances are deceiving. Circumstances are what? Deceiving. God wants you to know that he is faithful. And if you're going to experience the victory that God wants you to experience, not just in the present, but in the future, you have to have faith. You have to have what? You have to have faith. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, I'll just summarize it there for you. He says, look, what is the faith that overcomes the world? We want to be overcomers, right? That's the theme also in the book of Revelation. How do we become overcomers? He says it's by your faith. He that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and continues to believe that by faith, which is anchored by the Word, right? Not will become an overcomer. You are an overcomer. That is overcoming. Believing that Christ is your victory. Amen? And so now John is going to rapidly unfold the rest of the story for, for us as he transitions now over to Revelation chapter Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 5, once again. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. He's expounding on Genesis chapter 3, 15. It says this. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Move down to verse number 10. The Bible says in verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice. A what voice? A loud voice saying in heaven, now, I love that word there, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. This is past tense. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Everybody should break out in praise right about now. You see, the cross is not just guaranteeing and assuring you of salvation in Jesus Christ, right? a past work complete on the cross. It's also letting you know that the devil has been cast down. Somebody's listening to that and they're saying, well, CJ, I, I thought he was cast down back uh, when he got kicked out of heaven because of the war. Notice the context of what it said when he's been cast down. This is actually a second casting down. What are you talking about, CJ? Well, when we fell into sin because of the deception of the enemy, we gave dominion, rulership, like it says in Genesis chapter 1, right? Adam and Eve got dominion. We gave that over to Satan. Therefore, he claimed, though through deception, to be the representative head of this planet. When you get a chance, peruse just through the first few chapters of the book of Job, and you'll notice that the devil has limited access to the presence of God. What is he doing? Claiming dominion of this planet. He says, this is what the world looks like when I rule it. Look at the flood. Right? Look at the hardships that come on the planet, even in our lives still today. He's saying that's what rulership looks like when I, when I am in, in charge. 
when I'm king of this world. So the Bible sometimes calls him the God of this world, right? The prince of the air. Okay. And so God's like, okay, that's, that's really interesting. So Jesus comes, the second Adam, hello, and he comes, he conquers the devil, right? And then John wants to rush quickly past, right? The life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he moves you right up to the enthronement, right? The coronation of Jesus Christ. Why? He says, because this is the point. Because Jesus has now ascended victorious on behalf of everybody here in Vienna. The devil is not up there accusing you. He has been cast down. He, his, all his accusations have been canceled. All of the stuff that he wants to bring up against you in your life that brings you shame and guilt, he's been silenced. The case has been closed. Great controversy, done, right? Still playing out with some small minor battles, but the main argument is God loved the cross settled that argument. That's why all the universe is clear. They're clear. They shout out in verse 12 and 13. Listen to this. They say, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Because he knows that he has a what? A short time. Again, I grew up hearing that verse kind of sounding a little scared, did, right? Woe to you who dwell on the earth. Well, just a minute ago, I just heard that salvation has come. The kingdom of our Christ has come. This is good news, is it not? Why is there a woe to those who dwell on the earth? Go to verse 13. The Bible says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, this is the second casting down, right? No more access to, he is locked on this planet awaiting his crushing by the baby. Verse 13, continuing. He saw that he had been cast down to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Here is what Jesus wants you to understand, right? The devil often, as he's going about causing havoc on this planet, wreaking it in your life, even sometimes to this day, maybe on the way to church today, that even though sometimes through history, the devil seems to be winning, which, by the way, is one of the greatest deceptions of the devil. Ah, come on, somebody. The devil wants you to believe he's winning. That's why he's making all that noise right now in society today. Come on, somebody. You see, ah, oh, come on, somebody. You see, here's what the baby in the manger wants you to know. Go to the next slide for me, please. That even though through human history, things seem as though, even in your life, they seem as though you are being defeated. What may seem like a defeat is actually a setup for overwhelming victory. That's what it is. A setup for over, if you're in Christ, you don't lose. If you are in Christ, Victory is not something you attain. If you're in Christ, you always win. You don't work for victory, you work from a place of victory. Your victory is in Christ. Your victory is your faith in what Christ has accomplished for you. You see, it's based on what Christ has secured for you at the cross and every other blessing comes in its train. Someone's going to get that this morning. The things that we ask for that God knows that we need because of his will. He loves us and he gives us only what's good for us. It comes, you can claim it, based on your relationship with Jesus, based on receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is yours. He is faithful. That's why you need that blessing list. You see, when 
when, 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 when the children of Israel were there before the Philistines and, and, and Goliath was talking all that smack that he was talking, right? They looked defeated, did they not? Nobody wanted to step up to the giant, including the giant in Israel, right? Saul, head and, tall, head and shoulders above everybody else, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Right? But then God got some little shepherd boy with a stone and a sling and accomplished overwhelming victory. Amen? All right. And then if you're there at the Red Sea and you're standing by the water, feeling it splash up on your legs, right? And you see off in the distance Pharaoh charging at you. You're there with Moses. You at that moment don't look very strong, right? You look defeated, don't you? But we understand that God, with that same Red Sea, creates a highway in the ocean, in the sea, and causes his people to go through, and then causes the, the army of Pharaoh to be shut down, the most powerful military force in the world at that time, shut down by Yahweh. Because when you seem defeated, it is a setup for overwhelming victory in Christ. You see, the devil basically does this kind of a thing. He starts to, after the cross, he starts to, he, he, you know, he's defeated. Let me tell you something. The devil, you need to sometimes remind him of his destiny. You see, the devil is like this. You see, he goes, ah, oh, I couldn't get Christ. He's now up there. He's ruling. He's reigning. My defeat is secured. He knows he's doomed, by the way. The, 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 the language that it's using there when it talks about great wrath, right, coming down. He's angry, right? Why is he so angry? Because he's a loser. Right? Come on, Sister Atkins. He is defeated, right? So he makes a whole lot of noise. You ever play with somebody that you, you, they, they know that they're losing, but they talk a lot of smack, right? That's what the devil is doing right now. Literally right now as I'm talking to you, you just go and turn on the news. And actually, don't turn on the news today. Just rest from it, amen? Okay, he's talking a lot of smack because he's actually losing. To the devil's greatest deception in your life is to make you think he's winning. You're on the winning side. Like literally the war has already been over. It's done. Like the cross, it's done. This is little small little battles here. Don't be fooled. Even all this stuff, antichrist system, we've talked about it. Yes. All right, but that's just him barking. Do you understand that? You see, he wants to deceive those believers here in the West. That we're losing, we talk about, oh, we're losing our young people. And by the way, a lot of them are leaving because they're looking for Jesus. Oh, and believe me, he's going to show up where they are. See, we get Jesus, they ain't going nowhere. It's not about all the other stuff. We need a lot of stuff we can do. But at the end of the day, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw. So the question is, are we lifting him up so he can draw? That's the real thing, right? They get contextual, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but at the end of the day, Jesus is always relevant. And he is the victor. Here's what the devil does. He basically, for the first few hundred years of the Christian, of the Christian era, he basically now uses this tactic. He basically says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to persecute them from without, from the Roman state. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wreak havoc in their lives. I'm going to persecute the seed. I'm going to persecute the woman, rather. The church. Okay? But then he changes his tactic a little after the third century. And here's what's, been, here's what's going on. Uh, basically, if you read there in, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Revelation, just go down to verse 17. Revelation 12, 17. The Bible says this, right? Verse 17. It says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, that's the church, and he went to make war with her and the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here's what's going on there. There was a period, as we know, Many of my Bible students in the house right now, 
from about 527 A.D. to, to 1798, about a 1260-year prophetic period, right? The devil was wreaking hack in the name of Jesus Christ in the world, for that matter, persecuting the true followers of Jesus Christ, right? Those that keep the commandments of God, not to be saved, but because they already are saved, they already have the victory in grace and in gratitude through the empowerment of the Spirit. They are, God's law is being written on their hearts, they're revealing it to the world, and they have a powerful, fearless testimony to the story of Jesus. And they communicate it with prophetic-inspired clarity. This is what this verse is saying. By the way, this Re Revelation 12, 17 is the key verse of the entire chapter. You ask yourself, but how do they overcome? Because this brings us to our time now. How are they overcoming the devil? Because that 1260 year period, there's a lot of baggage we're still suffering with right now because of that period. You guys realize that, right? Like, you know, the, you know modern atheism really was a result of a, a visceral reaction of that picture of Christ during that period of time. We're seeing it play out right now, even in our society right now. Okay? There's a reaction against a a, a counterfeit, highly politicized Christianity. Hello? The devil used during that 1260-year period, he joined the church, if you will, kind of got on the roll, and he basically said, look, I'm not going to just mess up the church from without. I'm going to mess it up from within. And so through the Roman papal church state, ruling and dominating Christianity, remember that was just considered Christianity at the time. He misrepresented the character of God, causing people to push away. And God needed to raise up a faithful remnant, if you will, followers of Jesus Christ. Keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. But go real quickly now to verse 11 as we close. And, the, and they overcame him, the Bible says, by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody say the blood of the Lamb. They're not overcoming. Listen, they're not overcoming because of their good works. Because they're trying really, really hard. I hear some people say, I'm striving, right? I'm, I'm really trying. When I hear that, I sometimes, I don't want to discourage folk, but I almost just want to say, you realize that you're not going to get there because you tried really hard. Let's, let's continue. Verse 11. And the, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Here's what that's saying. They know and believe and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. They recognize that they are saved by grace through the blood of the Lamb, by faith. That faith produces fruit in their lives through the Holy Spirit that causes them to be loyal to Jesus with all of their hearts through the empowerment of the Spirit. Whenever you hear about the Ten Commandments, that's just the love of God being manifested in our lives. The Spirit, Romans 5, 5, pours love into our hearts and reveals it to the world. They are overcoming by that, and so they begin to now, they're crazy about Jesus, so they now begin to tell everybody about him. And they can give a fearless witness because they love not their lives to the death. If it means that I've got to lose my life because of my faith in Jesus Christ, they're like, that's all right. Can I keep telling you about Jesus? That's the remnant. If that's what your remnant theology looks like, then thumbs up. If not, repent. It is the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of Jesus about the blood of the Lamb. And the devil's making noise because he knows he has a short time. He knows the, the cycle has been that wherever Jesus is being lifted up and represented, overwhelming victory always occurs. Will you trust him today? That's the question.
for us today? Will we trust the baby that's lying there in the manger? See, don't be deceived by that baby that's lying there in the manger. I know the cute coos are coming up. Some of y'all here, Eden and Tommy, and you go, oh, that's so cute. Yes, but let me tell you something. This baby that apparently looks so vulnerable was the greatest threat to the devil. I know we sing a lot of cute songs and stuff about Christmas, and yes, I love to sing them too, but, but understand this. That baby represented Satan's worst nightmare. He did everything in the Old Testament story, everything where God's people are being attacked and he's trying to stop them. That was the devil trying to stop that baby in the manger. And when you place your trust in that baby, oh man, everything changes. Everything changes. Do you guys understand that the birth of Jesus was, was, was a threat even to the political systems of the day that the devil was trying to work through? Do you know that the Bible says uh, uh, that back then the only person that you were able to say was the Son of God, was the Savior, who brought peace on earth, who was King of Kings, right, who was Lord, was Caesar? That was, that was the person you were to refer those titles to because Caesar Augustus claimed all of those titles to himself. And so when the angels came and declared Jesus Savior, Come on, somebody. Son of God, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, as we sang this morning. It was a protest and it was actually a threat revolutionary to the system and to the empire of the day. What do you mean there's another Lord in town? Jesus' birth and the Christmas story here in Revelation 12 is an announcement. It is an announcement that Satan and every oppressive system that raises itself up against God and his people are coming down. And that Christ is Lord. He is enthroned. And anyone that is on his side by faith is, not will be, is a victor. Believe that today. Is a See, it's when we believe it that we start to experience it. It's when we believe it that we start to experience it. I know we have some singers that are going to get up at this time, but I want to let you know. When you now look at that baby and then he grows up and he goes to Calvary, you see someone that looks initially defeated. Can you see him? The baby crusher is, is being spat on and, and, and he's being beaten and he's being whipped. He's stumbling as he's carrying his cross and he's falling and someone else has to carry his cross for him. And then he's got the nails that are being uh, uh, hammered into his hand. And now, be honest with me, if you're just looking at it without all the pre previous reference, Jesus looks defeated, does he not? Come on, talk back to me. Does he not? Yes, yes he does. But on Sunday morning, <laughs> you see, before Sunday morning, his heart was being rent from the Father because he sat there, he hung there on that cross as you, all your sins, the nuclear explosion of your sins rested upon him and crushed out his life. But God said, you're worth it. God said, I would rather give up heaven even if I don't come up from the grave because Vienna is worth it. Because the worst person you can think of is worth it. Because I'm faithful. Because I'm accomplishing overwhelming victory. See, Sunday morning was victory. You see, the cross was awesome, but Sunday morning was awesome too. You see, Sunday morning, the devil saw the earthquake and took off running. Come on, that's the same Jesus that dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. 
Come on, somebody get up on Sunday and get up on Monday morning with some confidence when you go into work. Come on, get in that house where there's tension and get some confidence, get some resolve, get some backbone. And say, come on, I am victorious. Jesus said, upon this rock, talking about his church based on the gospel, he said this, he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means that the devil is actually, he's being depicted as having a wall, right? He's having gates. They are defensive. Why? Because those of us that are in Christ are like an army breaking through his walls, is what Jesus is saying, and grabbing and snatching people out for the kingdom of God. You, wherever you go, are the kingdom of God being represented, and Satan must fall. I'm going to say it again because somebody didn't hear that. Wherever you go, because you are in Christ, the reign of God has been manifested. And Satan must fall. That's the baby that crushes the head of the serpent. I want to invite you at this time to stand with us. We sing about this. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.